Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Friday, October 27th, uh, 2023. Uh, We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal, this special edition of our worldwide radio broadcast. Later on, uh, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the expanding military activity in West Asia and North Africa, where the siege of Gaza has, has spawned a broader theater of conflict. There has been the deployment of United States aircraft carriers and troops to the eastern Mediterranean. The United Nations Security Council has been a focal point of the debate over a ceasefire and the opening of a humanitarian corridor to provide assistance to the people of Gaza. In the second hour, we will review excerpts from the United Nations Security Council debate. Finally, we listen to a panel discussion on the worsening humanitarian crisis in Gaza and the agencies working to provide assistance. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. We'll take our musical interlude uh, with the music of Egypt, the revolutionary voice and music of Um Kautum. This is uh, from uh, the composition entitled Hayat Kalbi Ma'ak. Let's listen in.
أفضل أصبر روحي بكلمة يوم قلتها لي
in all forms to stop the aggression on Gaza. Hamas political bureau chief Ishmael Hania pointed out on yesterday that the continuation of the Israeli aggression on Gaza will take the entire region, which has become a powder keg, out of control. Hania indicated that the aftermaths of the Al-Aqsa flood will accompany us in all of our stages in the land of Palestine in the struggle of the nation and resistance against the Zionist project. He pointed out that after 20 days of war, the resistance led by the Al-Qasim brigades continues its strikes and guards its borders, affirming that the resistance is still in excellent shape. The Hamas chief said that the occupation will not be able to recover due to the strategic strike and the resounding defeat it has suffered, stressing that this battle will change the course of history and move towards achieving the higher goals of the Palestinian people who have suffered from historical injustice. In the same context, Hania called on allied countries to exert the necessary pressure in all forms to stop the aggression on Gaza. This is uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. Islamic resistance in Iraq has been conducting operations against U.S. occupation bases in Iraq and Syria for nine consecutive days. El Mahadeen sources reported uh, yesterday that two Israeli soldiers were killed and three others were wounded as a result of the Islamic resistance in Lebanon targeting the Hanita military outposts on the Lebanese-Palestinian border during the afternoon. The Islamic resistance had reported that its fighters at 3.25 p.m. today, uh, this was on Wednesday, targeted the Hanita and the Al-Bakri sites with guided missiles confirming that a number of their technical equipment were destroyed. Another context, the Islamic resistance in Iraq announced uh, on Wednesday that its fighters targeted the American occupation base at Abu Hajar Airport, Qarab Algier, and northeastern Syria, with a missile barrage for the second time in recent hours. The Islamic resistance in Iraq claimed responsibility for an operation targeting U.S. occupation Abu Hajar Airport, Qarab Algier, in northeast Syria with rockets, the group said in a statement two days ago, confirming direct hits. Since day one of the launch of Operation Al-Aqsa flood, in response to the Israeli crimes against Palestinians and their holy sites, U.S. President Biden announced unwavering support to the entity and immediately signed off on increased military assistance delivered on a daily basis. This measure was a public admission of complicity in all Israeli crimes against civilians in Gaza, which has resulted in the martyrdom of over 7,000 civilians, most of whom are children, women, and the elderly. In response, the Iraqi resistance factions declared that all U.S. bases within reach have become legitimate targets, especially those in Iraq. We will not stand idly by in the face of the ongoing genocide against Palestinians in Gaza, the factions pled, pledged earlier in the week. And finally, uh, the talks uh, have taken place uh, between a delegation of the Palestinian movement, Hamas, uh, with uh, the Russian uh, Deputy Foreign Minister, Mikhail Bogdanov. During the meeting, Hamas expressed strong appreciation for the position of the Russian President Vladimir Putin and the diplomatic efforts put forth by Russia regarding the war in Gaza. Hamas discussed the need to halt what they referred to as crimes of Israel supported uh, by the West, 
and reiterated their right to resist the occupation through various means. The talks also included discussions about the release of captives and the evacuation of foreign citizens, including Russians, from the Gaza Strip. While Russian President Putin is not planning to meet with the Hamas delegation, the diplomatic engagement highlights Russia's potential role in ending the war on Gaza and facilitating humanitarian aid delivered to Gaza. Hamas expressed the belief that Russia, especially with its use of veto power in the United Nations Security Council, can contribute significantly to uh, these efforts. On Wednesday, the United Nations Security Council turned down a resolution drafted by the United States concerning the war on Gaza due to Russia and China exercising their veto power against it. Russian Ambassador Vasily Abinzia was critical of the resolution, describing it as political and expressing concern about the approach taken in its drafting. With that, we're going to conclude the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment of our program, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since that time period, uh, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in hundreds of newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access uh, to today's Pan-African Journal special worldwide radio broadcast for Friday, October 27th, 2023, go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week. I can't stand the rain against my window Bringing back sweet memories Yeah, when the rain Just one. 
the voice of uh, Ann Peoples uh, with the track entitled I Can't Stand the Rain. As the bombs uh, rain down over Gaza uh, from the Israeli Defense Forces, paid for, delivered, and backed up uh, by uh, the government in Washington, D.C. And uh, this is the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast, uh, fourth Friday, October 27th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. Right now, we'd like to listen uh, to an excerpt uh, from uh, the debate uh, yesterday at the United Nations Security Council. This is uh, from the representative of the uh, state of Palestine at the United Nations. Let me take you to the General Assembly Emergency Special Session at the United Nations on the protection of the Palestinian civilian population. These are live pictures from the United Nations. This is the ambassador to the UN the, uh, for Palestine. Let's listen in. Mr. President, colleagues, let us all remember we are meeting here while Palestinians in Gaza are under the bombs. Remember that you are speaking while families are being killed, while hospitals are coming to a halt, while neighborhoods are being destroyed, while people are fleeing from one place to another with nowhere safe to go. I urge you to choose your words carefully and to act accordingly. For all those mobilized against an even greater man-made humanitarian catastrophe or of a regional spillover, and these are worthy goals, we say, stop the bombs or both will happen. Stop the bombs and save lives, as the President of the General Assembly has indicated. All lives, lives of children, of civilians, of 2.3 million civilians in the Gaza Strip. Mr. President, in Gaza, a father tells his daughter about the birthday he was planning for her and asks her not to miss it. A mother laments, my children died before they had a chance to eat. The thoughts that cross the mind of a mother in the face of such grief, 3,000 children in Gaza were killed by Israel in the last almost three weeks. I repeat, 3,000 children, innocent children, angels, killed in Gaza during the last three weeks. A man embraces his mother and pleads like a child. Come back, I beg you. Come back, and I will take you wherever you want. He hugs her and can let go. But there is no 
time to mourn. More death is on the way. 1,700 women were killed by Israel in the last two weeks. A young man wrote, We will not leave Gaza. We will only leave Gaza to join the heavens. A few days later, he did. 7,000 Palestinians have been killed by Israel in the last almost three weeks. 70% of all those killed are women and children. Almost all killed are civilians. Is this the war some of you are defending? Let me repeat, is this the war that some of you are defending? Can this war be defended? These are crimes. This is barbarism. If you do, if you do not stop it for all those who were killed, stop it for all those whose lives we can still save. Jinan, a little girl under the rubbles, shouts at the people coming to rescue her. What took you so long? There are 900 Palestinian children under the rubbles, alive or dead, wondering what is taking so long, wondering if any help is on the way. Anas, a little boy, who is known as Anus, crawled from under the rubbles, not to find light, but more darkness. Devastations and death all around him. His ordeal has only started, not ended. 1,600 Palestinians are under the rubbles, and no one can reach them to save them or bury them. A doctor speaks of a term coined during this war, wounded child with no surviving family. Eighty Palestinian families have lost ten or more of their members, sometimes up to 45 members of the same family were killed. 18,000 people are wounded, many treated in hospital hallways, if at all, with no anesthesia. Paramedics who have been, who have seen death time and time again, break down and cry. This time is just too much. UN staff, humanitarian personnel, and doctors are standing their ground and paying the ultimate price for it. This memory is honored by some as if a natural disaster had killed them, not a UN member staff. As hospitals turn into morgues, doctors and patients alike wonder is help on the way? Is help on the way? They are not 
listening to the explanations of some leaders on why the war has to go on. They just hear the bombs. They just feel the blast. They just face all this death trying to survive or to honor the pledge they took to save lives with no means to do so. People are ordered to evacuate. They look at their children. Should we head south? Will we be bombed on the way or once there? Should we go to a hospital courtyard, a UN school, a church, a mosque, sleep in our car in the streets? But bombs are everywhere. What choices do you make as a parent when there are only impossible choices, when death is everywhere, devastation is, is everywhere? A man stands in front of his house, turned into rubble yet another time. After a long pause, he asks, how do you bury a house? Israel has destroyed over 40% of all homes, making an entire population homeless and displaced. 1.4 million people in the hope to forcibly transfer them outside the territory. The Israeli foreign minister came to the Security Council and said, this meeting should Conclude with a clear message. Bring them home. For millions of Palestinians, there is no home to go back to. For thousands, there is no family left to embrace. Not by an act of God, but by the acts of a government represented here in this chamber. He spoke of families and their pain. There is not a single family in Gaza that has not endured epic suffering. He told you horrible it was to kill civilians. Just before justifying the killing of Palestinian civilians by the thousands, he spoke of the fear felt by people when rockets are launched, Israeli bombs, have not spared a single square meter of Gaza. He believes the difference between civilization and barbarism is who is doing the killing or how they do it. He believes the laws of humanity and of our international law-based order apply to others but not to Israel. That they protect Israeli lives and allow the killing of Palestinians and taking Palestinian lives. He believes Israel can pretend it, it is abiding by the very laws it is breaching live on your TV screens and before your eyes. That if you say Hamas enough times, the world will not be able to object to wiping off the face, from the face of earth entire families, four generations at a time, or to a siege where you let 
in enough humanitarian aid to pretend you have a sense of humanity, but nowhere enough to address the immense needs that are grow growing exponentially as you keep bombing a besieged territory. He says release the hostages and takes two million Palestinian hostages. Let me translate these numbers. Compared to the population of Gaza, this is the equivalent of 28,000 Israelis killed, including 12,000 children and 6,800 women, 72,000 wounded, 5.6 million displaced. Is it more shocking now? More unacceptable? More outrageous? Why some feel so much pain for Israelis and so little pain for us, the Palestinians? What is the problem? Do we have the wrong faith? The, the wrong skin color? The wrong nationality? The wrong origin? Let me address all those who have in these past few days explained why one should not call for a ceasefire. How can representatives of states explain how horrible it is that 1,000 Israelis were killed and not feel the same outrage when 1,000 Palestinians are now killed every day? 1,000 Palestinians killed every day. Why not feel a sense of urgency to end their killing? Nothing can justify war crimes, crime against humanity, and genocide. Nothing can justify the killing of a single Palestinian child. Nothing. Nothing at all. Why not feel a sense of urgency to end our killing? Nothing can, as I said, justify war crimes. You are setting us back 80 years by trying to justify what Israel is doing now. How naive one has to be or how hypocritical to pretend they don't know Israel is voluntarily killing Palestinian civilians. Who can believe that those killed by Israel are for 70% children and women and that entire families were killed while Israel is trying to minimize civilian death? They kill all of us. They kill thousands of us and they say they are trying to minimize killing civilians. How will it look like if they were trying to maximize killing Palestinian civilians? If killing 7,000 is to minimize, killing 700,000 would be possible to maximize? We don't need you to offer us semantic reassurances about IHL and protection of civilians. 
We need you to honor these norms. Honor these norms. Not recall them only to justify their breach seconds later. This selective outrage is outrageous and needs to stop and need to stop now. These people you watch in your screens for a few minutes a day, every night, while they are being slaughtered, they have survived decades of military occupation, a 16 years long blockade and five wars in the Gaza Strip. They built and rebuilt and rebuilt their lives and their homes again and again against all odds, despite tremendous suffering. They are walking miracles. How could you leave them to be killed once again? The answer to the killing of Palestinian civilians is not the killing of Israeli civilians. And the answer to the killing of Israeli civilians is not the killing of Palestinian civilians. Vengeance is a dead end. The only path forward is justice. The only path forward is justice. Justice for the Palestinian people. Don't distort the law. Don't bend it. Don't break it. Don't betray it to accommodate Israel. Uphold it and uphold it high. This is what we are here for as the United Nations, to save future generations from the scourge of war. Uphold it for the sake of all nations, for the credibility of these United Nations. Mr. President, Wael al-Dahdouh was reporting on the massacres in Gaza. For those of you who do not, who is Wael al-Dahdouh, he is the field uh, correspondent of Al Jazeera in the Gaza Strip. As he's been doing relentlessly for days now, when he received the news of an Israeli airstrike that killed his wife, his son, and his daughter, he did something many parents do in these circumstances. He spoke to his son, waiting for an answer that never came. He told him, didn't you tell me you wanted to be a journalist? His son wanted to be a journalist, even though journalists are targets in Palestine. Remember Sharina Ba'akli? Now, the dream of the son will haunt the father. Wael said a few words that I want you to hear well. He said, they took their vengeance out on our children. He then said in a heartbreaking voice, Malish, allow me to explain explain it to you. Literally, it means that's okay. 
But let me tell you what I believe he meant. Let me do it in Arabic. Tubban liwaqa'in tuqtalu fi Gaza. Shame on this reality where Gaza is being slaughtered again. Tubban li kulli man. Shame. La yahtarimu insaniyatana. To, on those who do not have respect to our humanity, our dignity, our suffering. Shame on those who justify the acts of the criminal, all those who stand by the predators, or justify, or give condolence to the victim explaining that the killer is not responsible. Shame on those who abandoned our people as we are reeling under these massacres. Shame if a word of truth is not uttered. Shame if I leave the field to rather than defending our people, innocent people. God is our rock, and He is the dispenser of all affairs. Finally, I appeal to all of you, vote to stop the killing, vote for humanitarian aid to reach those whose very survival depends on it, vote to stop this madness. You have a chance to do something, to give an important signal, choose justice, not vengeance. Choose to defend the law, not justify its breach. Choose peace, not more wars. Vote to put an end to two, almost three weeks, of the worst double standards we have seen in decades. To restore some credibility of this place and the rules it is supposed to embody. Do not miss this chance. Lives are hanging in the balance, and every life is sacred. Please save lives, save lives, save lives. Vote for our draft resolution, and I thank you. Watching Al Jazeera will bring you coverage of a General Assembly emergency special session on the protection of the Palestinian civilian population. That was the Palestinian ambassador to the United Nations, Riyadh Mansour, giving a very strong and powerful speech there, uh, telling emotional stories of describing the lives of people in Gaza. His voice breaking, as he told, of 7,000 Palestinians killed since October the 7th. 70% of them, he said, were women and children. He said, these are crimes, this is barbarism. Stop it, he said, for all those lives we can still save. Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, an address delivered 
by uh, the United Nations representative uh, to uh, the state of, for the state of Palestine to the United Nations. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, a special worldwide radio broadcast for Friday, October 27th, uh, 2023. And we're broadcasting from our studios uh, in uh, downtown Detroit. We'll take a break and uh, we'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week. What will you give in your way? I saw them girls stop and listen to the people cry and say just a life is all I had in a parade of centuries. People cried out and said, please, please, we're on freedom. Liberation and just some help in this civilization. And though I heard the people say, What will you give in your way? I saw them turn, stop, and listen to the people cry and say, Just a life. So I got, what did they do? What did they say? To justify speaking this way And they just fought And often cried And when they turned around Were shot down and died Oh, but I heard The people say What will you hear In your way I saw them turn Stop And listen to the people cry And say just a life It's all I had Munchie and John Walked through this maze They touched a million lives In a thousand ways Three score and ten Never knew them Twenty-six and twenty-three It's all the worst Oh, can't you see? Didn't you hear? The people say What will you give? Away. I saw them turn, stop, and listen to the people cry, say just a light, is all I had Welcome back, and uh, that was Elaine Brown, the Black Panther Party. Uh, from the album entitled Seize the Time, and that track was entitled The Assassination. And what we see uh, over the last uh, three weeks uh, in West Asia, of course, is the massacre of uh, thousands of uh, Palestinians uh, in the Gaza Strip and also in the West Bank. And, of course, the escalation of uh, the conflict throughout the entire West Asia and North Africa region. Uh, we're going to turn right now uh, to a panel discussion uh, presented by Electronic Intifada. This uh, deals with the 20th day of the Gaza siege. Uh, let's listen uh, to uh, this report.
Hello, and welcome back to the Electronic Intifada live stream. Uh, today is Thursday, October 26th. Thank you all for being here. Um, we have a very uh, packed show today. We're going to hear from our good friend and contributor, colleague Rifat Alarir, uh, coming to us live from Gaza uh, in a few minutes. Um, we also have, of course, uh, deep analysis that you probably won't hear anywhere else uh, from uh, our contributing editor, John Elmer, as well as uh, Abdel Jawad Omar in the Occupied West Bank. And we're going to hear from some students um, who are facing repression inside uh, the university um, in, uh, in London. Um, but uh, first, as always, our executive director, Ali Abunima, is here. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman with Asa Wynn Stanley. We are associate editors. Uh, Ali, as always, um, your remarks. Thanks, Nora. And I want to start today by recalling the words of Arnon Sofer from a notorious interview he gave in the Jerusalem Post in May of 2004. Sofer is an Israeli demographer, and at that time he was a senior advisor to Ariel Sharon, the Israeli prime minister who implemented the so-called disengagement from Gaza in 2005. That created the situation we know now, a Gaza with no Israeli settlers in it, but sealed from the outside world, surrounded and totally under Israel's control. Sofer explained the logic of Sharon's plan, which Israel also called unilateral separation. Here's what Sofer said in that 2004 interview. Unilateral separation doesn't guarantee peace. It guarantees a Jewish Zionist state with an overwhelming majority of Jews. What will be the price of this? The day after unilateral separation, the Palestinians will bombard us with artillery fire, and we will have to retaliate. But at least the war will be at the fence, not in the kindergartens of Tel Aviv and Haifa. We will tell the Palestinians that if a single missile is fired over the fence, we will fire 10 in response. And women and children will be killed, and houses will be destroyed. Further down the line, when 2.5 million people live in a closed-off Gaza, it's going to be a human catastrophe. Those people will be even bigger animals than they are today with the aid of an insane fundamentalist Islam. The pressure at the border will be awful. It's going to be a terrible war. So if we want to remain alive, we will have to kill and kill and kill all day, every day. If we don't kill, we will cease to exist. The only thing that concerns me is how to ensure that the boys and men who are going to have to do the killing will be able to return home to their families and be normal human beings. I quoted this interview with Sofer in my 2006 book, One Country, and I've returned to it again and again after each of Israel's massacres including the Great March of Return in 2018, when Israel sent snipers to murder and maim thousands of unarmed people protesting against the siege at the Gaza fence. I come back to it now because it offers further evidence, if we even need it, that the genocide underway in Gaza is deliberate and premeditated, complete with the language that Palestinians are animals. I've never doubted that Israel was truly gen genocidal because 
after all, what was the Nakba and everything that has happened since, except episodes in an ongoing genocide? But we often talked about an incremental genocide. I honestly didn't think Israel would be able to engage in mass extermination, as Sofer called for, not because it didn't have the intent, but because I thought the world wouldn't allow it, that there would be a limit even for Israel's so-called friends. I admit now that I was naive. I was wrong. Not only will Israel's friends not oppose mass extermination and mass expulsion, they will support, support it and deny it at the same time as Joe Biden did when he cast doubt on the horrifying death toll in Gaza. But whether Biden believes it or not, that death toll keeps going up sickeningly. More than 7,000 people killed, including 3,000 children, more than 18,000 injured. Among the latest dead, the wife and two children of Wa'el Dahdur, Al Jazeera's correspondent. In my mind, this was as deliberate as Israel's murder of Shirin Abu Akleh, and it came only a day after it was reported that Secretary of State Antony Blinken had put pressure on Qatar to tone down Al Jazeera's coverage. I'm also sorry to report that among the dead are several members of the family of Ahmed Aburtema, a long-time contributor to the Electronic Intifada, whose voice you have heard on this live stream. Ahmed is one of the founders of the Great March of Return. We've learned that Ahmed and two of his children are alive but injured. We're trying to find out more about their situation, and we're all praying uh, for their welfare and recovery. Meanwhile, an estimated 1.4 million people in Gaza are internally displaced. That's out of a total population of 2.3 million. About 200,000 housing units have been completely or partially destroyed in Gaza. More than 200 educational facilities have been hit, including at least 29 UNRWA schools. More than 100 healthcare workers have been killed in Israeli attacks and another 100 have been wounded. 50 ambulances have been attacked, and half of those are now out of service. 24 hospitals have been ordered evacuated in northern Gaza, and those that are still operating are operating at more than 150% of their capacity. In Gaza, at least 130 newborn babies dependent on incubators are now at risk of death due to lack of electricity. There are approximately 166 unsafe births per day taking place in Gaza. Today, UNRWA, the UN Agency for Palestine Refugees, warned that if fuel is not received into Gaza, UNRWA will be forced to significantly reduce and in some cases bring its humanitarian operations across the Gaza Strip to a halt. The coming 24 hours are very critical. In fact, UNRWA has already abandoned uh, or ended some of its uh, services by abandoning its shelters in the north of Gaza and all the people in them to their fate. As this catastrophe spirals before our eyes, world governments have been divided into two camps. Those led by the United States, which fully support the genocide, and those which disapprove of the genocide, but have done uh, little or nothing to stop it. 
Reportedly, President Lula of Brazil has described what Israel is doing in this way. It's not a war, it's a genocide that has killed nearly 2,000 children and who have nothing to do with this war. They are victims of this war. And last week, President Gustavo Petro of Colombia spoke in similar terms. There, are, there may be other world leaders too who recognize the genocide in Gaza for what it is. Turkey's President uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan has said that the Israeli attacks on Gaza constitute open oppression, brutality, a massacre, and barbarism. Today, Bahrain, Egypt, Jordan, Kuwait, Morocco, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates issued a joint statement condemning the targeting of civilians and the violations of international humanitarian law in the Gaza Strip. But where is the action commensurate with all these words? Has a single country even cut off its diplomatic relations with Israel, let alone canceled the trade deal? Some of these countries, including Jordan, are reportedly the staging grounds for a major U.S. military deployment in the region, a deployment ordered by Joe Biden to shield Israel while it continues the grisly job of exterminating Palestinian children in Gaza at a rate now exceeding 150 children per day. Today, UNICEF said, almost every child in the Gaza Strip has been exposed to widespread destruction, relentless attacks, displacement, and severe shortages of essentials such as food, water, and medicine. UNICEF called for an urgent ceasefire and humanitarian access, as, as well as for the release of what it calls hostages. UNICEF's regional director, Adel Khodor, said, the situation in the Gaza Strip is a growing stain on our collective conscience. I can only agree with that. However, isn't it telling that UNICEF did not even have the guts to name the state that has already murdered more than 3,000 children and exposed every child to life-threatening danger. China and Russia, the two biggest powers in the UN Security Council other than the US, are pushing for a ceasefire, and that is critically important and a hopeful development. In its latest cynical maneuver, the US put forward a draft resolution at the Security Council that wholly adopted the Israeli position and didn't call for a ceasefire. Needless to say, it went nowhere. The semi-official China Daily has excoriated U.S. obstruction of any resolution that could gain support for the rest of the world. Its editorial today says the following. The position of China and many other countries voting against the U.S. proposed draft resolution is based on facts, law, and conscience. What they oppose is that the draft is evasive on the most urgent issue of ending the immediate hostilities. That is not only irresponsible, but also dangerous. It is tantamount to paving the way for large-scale military actions and giving the green light to further escalation of the conflict. The draft resolution did not call on the parties concerned to stop the indiscriminate and asymmetrical use of force. Such an evasive and ineffectual resolution would do nothing to ease the plight of the people in Gaza. Indeed, it would only worsen their predicament. It is clear 
that the U.S. is seeking to establish a new narrative on the Palestinian question by ignoring the fact that the Palestinian territory has been occupied for a long time and evading the fundamental issue of independent statehood for the Palestinian people. That's the uh, view in the China Daily. And China's view undoubtedly represents the global majority outside the stubborn, fanatical, racist Western elites whose bitter hatred of the Palestinian people spurs them to support Israel's extermination campaign. There are also signs that Russia is taking a more active role. And today, Russia's government received a high-level Hamas delegation in Moscow, and we must believe that Russia is talking to all sides. We must hope that all these efforts, as well as the ongoing global protests and statements, increase the pressure on Washington to end its support for the genocide. We have to continue to raise our own voices in every place that we can. Stop the bombing, stop the genocide, turn the water on, let the people in Gaza live. Ali Abunima, our executive director here at the Electronic Intifada. Thank you so much, Ali. We are going to get into more of um, the new, uh, analysis on some of the, the, the points that you just raised in your remarks um, later on in the show. But we want to first turn to our good friend and contributor, our colleague Rifat Alarir uh, in Gaza. Um, Rifat, uh, we're going to bring you on without your camera for um, your own safety, um, and uh, but but uh, we can hear your voice. Can you tell us? Um, can you tell us how you are right now? What 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 is the current situation like? And and are you safe? What does Thank that you. even mean? <laughs> Thank you, Nora, Ali, and your uh, guest. Thank you very much for having me. I want to start by quoting uh, Wael uh, is a friend. I taught his son, Hamza, and I, I have known him for like more than 10 years. Amazing people, the whole family. When he had to say, uh, to, to bid his son farewell, his family, and we realized later that one of his grandchildren was also uh, killed in the deliberate attack. He said, these are tears of humanity, not the tears of defeat or fear or cowardice. The Israeli occupation can go to hell. And he used this beautiful Arabic word, malish, meaning it's okay, this shall pass. And this is how we all feel whether we were personally uh, hurt, whether we, were, uh, uh, whether we lost our homes, loved ones, family members, extended family members, we are experiencing this mixture of, of horror, unprecedented horror. Wherever you go, I moved to three places in the Gaza city, and not one is a, a tiny bit safer than the other. Not one of them. There is no place in Gaza, wherever you go, that is safe at all. When, my, when my ho our home was bombed, it was only a miracle, a godly miracle that saved more than 25 civilians, mostly children, 
without a warning, without anything. And of course, Israel and Israelis will always lie. We warn them. We want them to leave their homes. We send warnings. We told them to go to the south. And in the south, the majority of the massacres in the past 10 days took place in, in the south. So there's this feeling of fear depending on who you ask. The children, you know what the words I have been saying to my children that I have been repeating to my, to my children in the past week? Eat less, drink less. And every time I feel that this is going to be my last word, my last sentence to my, to my children, to my kids. I have never, I'm personally well off. Every day I bring home chocolate, candies, everything they want. Fruit, vegetables. But now nothing of this is there in the market, in the shops. The, the shelves are empty. And I keep telling them, drink less, eat less. This is where we are here. This is where we are. Explain, my, my, my older uh, children can understand this. But how would you explain to a seven-year-old seven Amal, who already survived three wars, and hopefully she will survive this fourth barbaric genocidal war, how would you convince her that the, 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 the cookies I got will, should last us for two or three days? Because they were the last packs in, in, in the shop. How would you convince her that she, 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 she should take only one, one piece, one cookie, rather than three or four or five, like she is used to in normal days? But it's not only about food. This is not an aid issue. Palestine, Gaza is not an, an aid issue. This is an extermination. What Israel is doing is creating, they, long ago they created the concentration camp. But this is now an extermination camp. We speak about uh, uh, more than 7,000 people killed in, in three weeks. And there are at least 1,000, 1,500 people under the rubble. Just this morning, a few meters away, there were deafening, massive. We ran out of adjectives to describe how violent, how barbaric these strikes are with and we were staying in a room with big windows to the to the street and we had to go to the hallway to hide from the debris because the debris keeps hitting the walls and it went on for probably one hour and 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 guess what the first responders the ambulances couldn't arrive couldn't reach the area until two hours late and just now somebody was complaining, why does the ambulance do this? I said, because they have always been systematically targeted. So with Israel exterminating families, and before the extermination, there is this systematic way to push people into tiny spaces. To push, I was just reading reports about a friend, somebody I knew some time ago, who was killed in 2021. His wife was killed. His children were killed, his parents, his in-laws, his brother, his brother's wife, his brother's children. These are people I know. They live in three or four different homes, houses, flats. But Israel bombed us into tiny corners, tiny spaces, so that they can drop one or two bombs and kill 50 people at one time without having you know, to, to throw even more, more bombs. This is where we are now, systematically targeting doctors. The other day there was 
a report of two doctors whose families were, were killed. This is punishment. What happened to Wael Dahdouh is punishment. Wael is being punished because the, what's his name, the Israeli uh, liberal opposition leader, I forgot his name, said that if the media is reporting the facts, it's biased, biased uh, against Israel with Hamas. If the media is presenting both ideas, both sides, it's also against, against Israel. It's very clear those people don't want the facts there. That's why they're targeting uh, uh, civilians, targeting children, targeting families, targeting doctors, targeting journalists, and that's it. It's an extermination. Uh, Rafat, um, what is it like uh, trying to get food? We we keep hearing of all of these bakeries and markets, uh, one after the next, being targeted uh, by Israeli missile strikes. Um, how how are how are people in your in, in in the place that you are 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 in right now, and also your neighbors, how are people able to get food and water right now? Oh, it's uh, it's it's too bad that we need to be talking about food and 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 aid. But this is what Israel is turning this this issue. In in normal days, Gaza imports about 500 trucks, and imports not Israeli aid, not anybody, anybody sending aid. We can import as many trucks as, as possible with a siege that continued for more than uh, 20 days and then allowing 20 trucks and also trucks that would go only to the north and the middle area and Gaza receiving nothing, no fuel for hospital. Uh, three days ago, I documented my journey to the bakery nearby. I waited, queued for four, four hours and a half. And I bought uh, bread for two to three dollars, probably one or two days. And in Gaza, when we speak about bread, this is what we eat. 90% of the food we eat in Gaza, we use uh, bread to eat it. It's the stable. And yesterday, the Israel bombed one of the bakeries nearby when they brought down a whole block in Al Jala Street. Uh, there was no uh, bakery yesterday. Today, I had to walk for about one hour and a half. Went to three bakeries. The three of them were closed because they feel threatened and because they are running out of fuel, cooking gas, and flour. And I just sent my son uh, to see if any of the bakeries were open uh, in the afternoon, and they, there were no bakeries and there was no bread. So we had no bread today. Uh, okay, go on, Ali. Rifat, when you, I mean, that, that uh, do you see around you in terms of people now? Because, I mean, this has been now going for, 20 days of total siege cutting off food and water uh, you've talked on on your Twitter about uh, and and here today about eating less 
drinking less. Do you, do you see the impact of that now on the population more broadly? And, and what do you see? You said you walked in the street for an hour and a half. What do I, you see in terms of the, the situation and people? And, and do you talk to people? And, and just what can you tell us about what people in Gaza are saying and doing? Uh, first, usually there are, uh, I think the rate was more than 60% of poverty, people under the poverty line in Gaza, people, farmers and laborers and workers, blue-collar workers. Those people usually uh, uh, work day, day from one day to another. If they skip a day, if they, if they don't work for a couple of days, they run out of money. So when when the media asked me, I tell them don't measure, don't use me as as you, you as a measure. I have the money, but the shops are empty. There are I I bought uh, 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 juice and, and and stuff today, and I asked the shopkeeper, how do you have anything in the stock? He said no more. So I said how long are you going to be open? He said around a week, and then we are going to run out of everything that can be. Eating. People in Gaza are already slimming down. In addition to the, of, to the fear and horror on their faces, they are slimming down. They're losing weight, and it shows. Because everybody, it's not about me, everybody is eating, eating less. The, the, there is a talk, people talk about how tired we are. And I took a taxi uh, on my way, heading to a faraway bakery. And the taxi driver complained. He whined. He said, it's too much. Enough. And one of the, the, the guys, an elderly man, probably the age of my father, he said, we can't give up. They have already killed what they want to kill and destroyed what they want to destroy. We can't give up now. So despite this hunger, literal hunger, despite the, the, the fear and the terror that every minute we don't measure our, our, our lives, by the way, by the days now. We don't. Even not by the hour. When I go out, I, I say, should I go left or right? When I was waiting in the, in the queue for the, the, the bread, the, the Israeli warships continuously for more than two hours were shilling from all over our heads. And a building, two, uh, two buildings away, a, a flat was hit. And the guy in front of me received a call. Oh, no. Um, we're going to try and get Rafat back. Um, as you can imagine, the electricity situation, obviously. Um, the, and the connections to Gaza yeah. have been, I, I'm sorry to say, getting much more difficult. Yeah. And we have difficulty sometimes getting responses from people at all. So it's a miracle that we're able to even speak to Rifat, but I hope I hope we're able to uh, get him back. And just to emphasize that a number of groups have come out and international lawyers, and this shouldn't have to be said, it should be clear that using starvation as a weapon is a crime against humanity. And that's what Israel is doing when you cut off food to 2.3 million people, half of them children, this is a, this is genocide. It's a, a crime against humanity. It's the, the kind of stuff we used to read about right. in the history books of starving the ghettos in Europe. 
the Nazis would starve the ghettos uh, and people would be reduced to eating, you know, what, whatever they could find. I don't want to start saying things, but this is what, what's happening now. And for the world to just sit there and allow it is, is just beyond shocking. Yeah, we've heard for many years and we've, we've known for many years from Israeli press that the Israeli planners have been calculating the amount of calories that it takes to keep Gazans barely alive um, in the Gaza Strip. And now we're facing the most extreme version of this genocidal logic played out before us. Yeah. Um, as we work to get Rafat back on the line, uh, Asa, do you want to introduce um, our guests in London? Okay, so we'll go to our next segment. We're going to talk about some of the repression that's been happening uh, all around the world, but um, specifically today we're going to focus on students in the UK, and we're going to be joined now in this segment by our two guests from the SOAS, Palestine Society, um, and we have uh, Rida Jawad, who is uh, a SOAS alum and an activist and a writer, and also Maryam Ofkir, who is part of SOAS Palestine Society. Thanks for joining us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for inviting us, and um, honestly, all the points that you have made really great. And um, it's very unfortunate that as the last year, we are being silenced. Uh, sorry, Miriam, can I, can I stop you for a sec? You've got a bit of um, feedback. If you've got a headset, uh, if you've got some headphones, that might help. Um, but uh, maybe while you sort that out, um, Rida, maybe you could uh, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, firstly, thank you for having us. Uh, we want to extend our solidarity to you and to all the people in Gaza and Palestine uh, who are fighting for a better world everywhere. Um, How's the sound? Can you guys hear me well? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, as you know, SOAS has officially begun the step uh, of expelling, uh, suspending students for holding solidarity action um, with the people of Gaza and Palestine. And uh, we want to begin by first saying that it's abhorrent and despicable that SOAS and other British institutional educations have officially began taking these steps. Um, I mean, we already know that SOAS, SOAS students and British students already pay an extortionate amount of money for tuition fees. Um, and now they are being barred um, from attending lectures and classes um, simply because of holding um, a solidarity action. Um, following the events of early October. And it has been weeks since um, we've been given, given an update by the SOAS administration on um, these suspended students, and they're yet to receive anything um, uh, about whether they're going to be unsuspended, whether they're going to be allowed back into classes um, and lectures. And we see this as an attempt to create a sort of informational gap to students um, and to try and bar members of the Palestinian society and the student body at large to get involved in further action in solidarity with uh, the people of Gaza. And it's, it's, a, it's a clear sign um, to, to remove this right of freedom of expression um, that students should be allowed to hold on campus 
uh, our actions are always peaceful. We all, always follow uh, protocols and guidelines um, given to us by the South administration. Um, and it's, it's, it's abhorrent and there's nothing else um, that should be fought against. All students should unite in allowing these students back into education. Um, yeah, um, Mariam, how's your sound doing now? Um, hi guys, can you hear me properly? Yeah, that that's better? better, thank okay. you. So, um, as um, my friend Rida has mentioned, um, so are students. And to be honest, all students across the UK, across UK universities, are facing punishments. Our voices are being silenced. And um, especially here at SOAS, what has happened is that during Freshers' Week, which is the beginning week of the year, where students come, new students are here, you know, they're joining societies and so on, um, UJS, which is a Zionist organization, has been invited onto our campus by SOAS Management, which and, is... And just, sorry, Mariam, just and that's the, uh, the Union of Jewish Students, which, as our reporting has, has shown, and Asa, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. has been actually funded by the Israeli yeah. government. So yeah. Whatever, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So whereas the embassy, the embassy in London, the, embassy, the Israeli yeah. embassy. So whereas the UJS presents itself as being just about representing Jewish students, this is actually an organization that advocates on behalf of Israel and has even been funded by the, the Israeli embassy. And also just for some of our listeners who are, uh, um, outside the UK, I think it's just important to mention that SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies, is considered a major world academic institution focusing on uh, the Middle East and Africa and Asia. And so you would think... And it's also supposed to be a really pro progressive university, allegedly. And from what mm. you're telling us, students are being suspended yeah. from from their you know from their university yeah. for the alleged crime of expressing solidarity with palestinians who have yeah exactly. and, and, and you know of specific cases of your friends that, and fellow students this has happened to yeah um actually um as you've mentioned um ujs um has ties with israel but also beyond that one of their aims organization is to bring Israel to campus, and you can see this on the website. And bringing Israel to our campus, to our university, what this means means it's, it's directly targeting Palestinian voices, Palestinian students, Palestinian societies, therefore our committee and our society as a whole, but also bringing Israel to campus. The fact that this means bringing the same Israel that has been targeting Palestinians and oppressing them for over 75 years, it means bringing the same Israel, these politicians whose um, uh, social media accounts have been referring to Palestinians as human animals, as children of darkness, means bringing the same Israel that is built on the suffering, on the blood of Palestinian, um, on Palestinian lives, and the same Israel that is using white phosphorus and committing war crime upon war crime on over 2 million Palestinians that are living under a, an illegal blockade in Gaza. This is the same Israel that UJS uh, was attempting to bring onto our campus um, under our name. 
and uh, you know because this is our university, this is SOAS, SOAS management under the leadership of Adam Habib decided it was a good idea to bring UJS to our campus, not only obviously targeting us, um, but also showing the engagement and normalization with um, Zionist organizations. And so um, also SOAS has not uh, come out uh, and basically said and reassured to Palestinian students and to Arab and Muslim um, students that, hey, you will be safe and we reassure your safety because as we all know, there are an increase, there's an increase of anti-Palestinian racism and students are being targeted of this as um, Nora, I think you've mentioned this on a live stream like a week ago um, with one of your other guests, um, how students are being doxxed, they are receiving death threats. So what has done nothing to reassure Palestinian students who might even have family in Gaza, in the West Bank, that they will be safe. And not only SOAS, all UK universities, none of them have come out and said to their Arab students, to their Muslim students, to their Palestinian students that they will be safe. Palestinian students are having to hide their identity on campus because they are scared. This is what it has come to. And back to the suspensions and to the warnings, what has happened is that um, SOAS management has um, been giving warnings and suspensions to um, students, not only from our committee, but even beyond that, students are being targeted for expressing solidarity with the Palestinians in Gaza and Palestinians in the West Bank, Palestinians across the diaspora. And this is, a, this is an attack on students and an attack on freedom of, spirit, of freedom of speech. But especially coming from SOAS, it's... Yeah, it's Mariam, can you just, what kinds of activities are students being suspended and punished for? Is it, is it for uh, holding rallies? Is it for expressing opinions online? What, what are the sorts of activities that they're trying to, to dissuade and punish? So um, SOAS has suspended and given warnings to students on behalf of this health and safety um, health and safety um, excuse, I would say, uh, which says that students did not follow the guidelines and rules of SOAS um, as there was, um, we were having a rally um, on the main steps and then we moved to the green space and um, apparently we were not following guidelines, which is not true, um, it's not true. Um, they have also, this is not the first time that we've been targeted throughout the year, SOAS has repressed um, Palestinian voices and Palestinian students, especially from the Palestine Society Committee. And an, a, great, a great example of this actually is through securitization. So as employees, so many security officers uh, office, um, from private security companies that come around on campus with um, body cameras, recording students without our consent, um, targeting students and so on and so on. So it's actually not the first time that SOAS has done this. And thankfully, we have um, we have uh, a petition where we received over 3,000 signatures, which is amazing. Over 3,000 people are on the right side of history. Over 3,000 people know that we are basically being intimidated and targeted and silenced. And no matter what they do, this is not obviously just um, so at the university. As I said, it's across all UK universities and even beyond that. Um, no matter what they do, we will not be silenced because what's going on in Gaza is a genocide. What's going on in Gaza is illegal, it's against human rights. Palestinians have a right to live. 
and no matter what they do, we will not be silent and we will continue to show our support for the Palestinians. I I wanted to show you something. Tamara Tamara Nassar, who's always in the background making this uh, machine work so smoothly. Tamara, can you put up this web page for people to look at? So this is from the SOAS uh, website. and uh, I don't know if, if we can see the uh, the image. Yeah, just pause there. Just let's read that sign. This is from the SOAS website, and it's it's their um, page highlighting what the university is doing for um, Black History Month. And they have a, a photo here which is very inspiring, and it says, "If you are n- neutral in situations of injustice." Uh, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Um, so that that's the public message that SOAS is putting out, uh, saying that they support marginalized people fighting uh, on behalf of the oppressed against institutions of power and that neutrality is bad. So, But as SOAS students, is the university living up to that? And, and other UK universities living up there, or is this just branding and marketing? Look how cool we are. But when the oppressed actually do stand up and speak, they're punished. This is completely correct. I mean, it's already been mentioned. So at um, School of Oriental and African Studies, Edward Said specifically named SOAS as a colonial institution in his book, Orientalism. Um, it's, it's no surprise that it's continuing its colonial legacies today. Um, under the leadership of Adam Habib, a new management has come into place at SOAS, and you can see this hyper-securitization taking place on campus. Uh, SOAS has spent over £600,000 in security costs in the space of five months last year, from September to March. It's, it's a clear sign uh, to silence uh, any voices who are in support of Palestinian, um, in support of the Palestinian struggle. Um, this is just, uh, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, it's just, uh, as you've shown, Ali, it's just uh, an image to, to show to the people when in reality it wouldn't be barring uh, suspending its own students from classes. Um, and it's absolutely disgusting. It, it goes back to this, um, and actually under the leadership of Adam Habib, who was also director at Wits University in South Africa, um, as they were protesting for free uh, tuition fees, as there was an increase in tuition fees back in South Africa, he actually resorted to hiring private security forces on his own students, uh, which they fired rubber bullets on students, and many, many were injured and hospitalized. Um, and now he's the director at SOAS, um, it, it's not surprising at all. Um, and it goes back to the idea, the, the, the struggle for academic boycott and how Israeli uh, British universities are also complicit in upholding Israeli apartheid and Israel's uh, colonial um, tactics it's using against the people of Gaza and Palestine. Um, and we learn from the struggles of previous national liberation groups such as that in South Africa and their focus on um, academic boycott um, in the fight against apartheid. In the 1960s, the African National Congress initiated the struggle for um, academic, political, economic 
ensued until 1990 when the fall of apartheid was um, was achieved, and and this is what we need in the UK. Uh, our universities are complicit in Israeli apartheid. SOAS um, has contracts um, with Israeli University Haifa University, which is built on colonized Palestinian land, which it sends SOAS students to. The Palestinian population in Haifa and Mount Carmel was reduced ethnically cleansed from 61,000 to 4,000 in in 1948 during the Palestinian Nakba. Um, and in the university that SOAS sends students to in occupied Palestine, um, there are military academies taking place on campus. They train military soldiers, Israeli soldiers on campus. It has been documented that they have been discriminating against Palestinian students at Haifa universities. And we see um, how Israeli institutions, uh, regardless of this liberal uh, argument that there needs to be a continuous knowledge production um, available um, throughout universities, we see that Israeli universities such as Tel Aviv actually hold bodies of murdered Palestinians and refuse to give them back to their families um, and how they have links directly with the Israeli state. And these can't be separated at all. So we also call for SOAS to end its contract with Haifa University and invest in over $4.5 million. Um, and it started this new um, contract in the year of 2021. So it's not long ago um, with Haifa University. And as you mentioned, SOAS prides itself in being this progressive, universal, decolonial, having this decolonial outlook in its teaching. But we as students, as alumni, staff refuse to remain silent any longer. This is the point before national liberation struggles, they go all out hard in, in the political silencing of activists and those who stand in solidarity with liberation groups to silence them. This is the critical point for academics and teachers to stand up. Um, and we want to emphasize yeah. the hypocrisy of, uh, of SOAS, who for weeks, if not years, decades, have chosen to remain publicly neutral, silent, yeah. as they have watched the Palestinian people suffer, suffer and be publicly dehumanized in every conceivable way, in the media, in education, and government policy. Uh, you cannot continue to teach about topics about the Middle East and topics such as colonialism, decolonization, and become specialists and experts on and creating acad accomplished academic careers on these profiles while remaining apolitical, neutral, politically spineless, and feeble, even at attempts at showing solidarity. We need something more than petitions, than right. statements um, yeah. to take place. Um, our lives here in Britain are not detached from what goes on around the world and in Palestine. Uh, we will not allow for Western academia to whitewash, co-op, or illegitimately redefine the struggles of national liberation and the struggles of colonized people. Uh, the struggle in Palestine is one of the most explicit for, uh, forms of colonialism still taking place, and we demand that, that our students, academics, teachers take a firmer stand and join us in being on the right side of history. Uh, we all yeah, take a stand. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rida. And we need to wrap this segment. We thank you very much for joining us. We've got to go back to um, our friend uh, Rifat in Gaza soon, but just very, very quickly before we do, um, one quick question for Miriam from our viewers, from, from one of our viewers, if I can um, 
get it up on the screen here. Um, it's uh, who's being targeted. I mean, obviously without naming names, but is it, you know, are they targeting um, people who, you know, are, um, well, Arab and Muslim students essentially, or people who are on visas and things like that? Are they targeting people who are somehow precarious? Um, so thank you for that question. I think it's a great question. Um, SOAS is targeting actually any student who has been um, proudly uh, on the right side of history. That being said, that means any student who has been showing solidarity with the Palestinian cause. Um, so actually, it's not just members of the Palestinian Society Committee that have been targeted, including myself, but it actually goes beyond that. And it's, you know, it's very ironic because um, SOAS um, not only benefits, as you've mentioned, from this like aesthetic, I would say, of being anti-imperialist and progressive and so on, but it's also targeting so many students, some of these students who actually have are dealing right now with it in a very stressful way. They have um, severe mental health issues, and this is obviously not only affecting them mentally, but also, you know, in in the sense of their education is being targeted. So it's actually um, not um, just Arab students or Muslim students or Palestinian students. Any student who has been showing support for Palestine has been targeted. They have been suspended or given warnings. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's really the truth of SOAS. Okay. Amazing. Thank, thank you very much, guys. Um, the, the ticker is there on the bottom of the screen for our viewers. The petition that was mentioned earlier is, is there, so people can go there. And yeah, thank you so much for having us on. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you both. And we're we're obviously going to keep tracking the stories, not just you know from one university in uh, one city in the UK, but this is happening across the UK, across Europe, and of course yeah. in North America. Um, you know, just just yesterday, Florida's governor Ron DeSantis uh, issued an order, effectively. Um, demanding that universities ban chapters of Students for Justice in Palestine. So this is going to be an ongoing fight. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's, it's, it's important to say that this is an attempt to really criminalize yeah. support for uh, Palestinian rights and to equate support for Palestinian rights with terrorism. Right. And so uh, Governor DeSantis's order in Florida, although uh, almost certainly unconstitutional, yep. plays the role of stigmatizing students right. and anyone who speaks up and putting them in right. fear. Exactly. And this is an old, this point. is really an old story, but it's now really on steroids. That's right. So we're going to keep watching that. We do have our good friend Rifat uh, back on the line. Rifat, are you, are you there? Uh, we can't. We still can't hear you. It's, Sometimes there's a delay. So yeah. Hello. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, I don't even remember where we left off. Um, Rifat, if you can just for the you know just for a few minutes. Um, I you know I, when when the students were talking about their university and and the the criminalization of speaking up and standing up for Palestinian rights and speaking up against Israel's genocidal uh, attack on, on Palestinians in Gaza. Um, you know, you're also a university teacher. You're a professor. You're a writer. You have students. Um, you mentor writers. 
and and there has there has been zero solidarity or any sort of uh, statements by these elite European or American or Canadian universities. Which all immediately, right. by the way, cut off ties with all Russian educational institutions. Right. They right. all indig quick. indignantly cut off ties with. But and right. also IUG, the Islamic University of Gaza, has has been bombed. Yeah. In fact, uh, yeah, talk, talk about talk about that if if you have anything. Oh, to say. it's uh, a, when I was in my home, I met a student of mine uh, in a queue, and he in, insisted I take his turn. Like he all, you know how it is in Gaza, we fight over these tiny little things and Arabs. I said, "There's no way I can take your turn. We're here. We are equal. We are here together." And incidentally. Three days ago, when I was queuing here, I saw another student of mine that I'm teaching poetry, and uh, he was way behind me. And I like almost fought with him to give him my 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 line, my my turn. And he was like so surprised because you know it's it's different. Every everything is upside down. And I said, I I am I'm serious. I want to give you my 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 place. He said, "There's no way. Like, I wish I have a place ahead of you, so I can give it to you." And there's this thing when he says, "You know what? I spent some of my time studying the poetry course, and I was like, please cut it out. You're all going to pass. You don't have to worry about me being strict and the quizzes and the exams. Let's first live. Let's first survive, and then we're going to be uh, like this together. Uh, hopefully, survive together and build together." And I saw a female student of mine in, in the Yonora school. And these three days we spent, because you need to, and, and I think this is not highlighted already. I hope I can write something about it. The schools, the UN schools in Gaza City are abandoned by the UNRWA. The employees there are there at their own risk. The UNRWA doesn't send food or water or anything. It's only charitable people that do this. The, the situation is extremely humiliating. In, unsanitary in every sense of the word. It's not fit for humans. And I, I, I saw uh, a female student, one of my students, and just was a brief eye contact. She looked away and I looked away. And I wish I could, I could do more. And then today, uh, yesterday, I said, what can I do to my students? Because they are my kids. They, 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 like, they are my children. I feel helpless. And I posted on the, uh, the Facebook uh, post Telling them, I'm really embarrassed. I don't know what I can do to help, to protect you, but I'm helpless myself. But please tell me if anybody needs anything. If you want cash, if you want to top up your mobile phone, please do send me your, uh, your, your this is my, my WhatsApp. And I was really proud that some of them broke this, you know, barrier because people are in need of this, but this is what a person like me can, can do. And then I posted something else. I said, if you can write stuff, please do. Ali promised to, 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 to publish as many of these as possible and improve them. And, 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 and a couple of students sent me stuff. Hopefully I can pass them to, to Ali when I have time to, to go through this. So this is, this is what life it is. One of the students was missing. And look at this beautiful thing. There is a sizable population of cats at IOG. And I, I'll try to send you some of these pictures. I already take them. There was one student, I was rushing late to my class, not sure where I said this, and there was one of my students feeding the cats, and I was like, 
you were late to my class. She said, can I be late five minutes? I want to feed the cat. And one of the students was like missing these cats, asking about what, what happened to, to, with this beauty, this solidarity, uh, people not hoarding, people uh, uh, helping each other. I remember I bought uh, a bag of, of uh, powder milk and I wanted to pay and the, the, the cashier, uh, I, I said, how much? Uh, and another guy said, hey, I want something like this. I want a, a bag of, of milk. And the cashier said, it's the last one. And we almost literally fought, me and the guy, you know. I said, you take it. He said, no, I will never take it. No, you take it. Please do take it. And you know how, again, Gazans, when they want to pay at restaurants and stuff, this sense of solidarity, this beautiful sense of solidarity, of togetherness, of community, of coming together, it's there. Israel has not. Israel is doing its, its, its you know, utmost efforts to break these bonds, to suffer these beautiful uh, connect, connect, uh, bonds between people and people, even, even people who don't know each other. Every time I, I meet somebody who remotely uh, knows me, young or old or a man or woman, do you need help? How can you, you help? How can, you, how can we help? And I say the same thing. Uh, 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 to them, despite the fact we are all displaced, we're all suffering, we're all paying a heavy, a heavy, a heavy price. So against this, this beautiful, beauty, beautiful uh, sense of solidarity, when we are abandoned by universities, by academia, by academic institutions, those who make money on our pain and suffering, there was somebody who said, Give a couple of years and those people are going to be submitting proposals for grants about genocide, about discourse, pre-genocide, before, during genocide, and they're going to make money and write research about, 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 about us. And one of the first institutions to be destroyed was the Islamic University. Because Israel wants us ignorant. Israel is not only fighting man, woman, and, and streets and, and, and infrastructure, but it, 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 it is fighting this, it's trying to kill this spirit, this Palestinian spirit of insistence on education, on, uh, uh, on learning. It's really shame that uh, academic institutions, universities and organizations are not uh, doing the least, the bare minimum to stand for us, to, to support Palestinians, their fellow academians and their fellow students. And that's why those students at Harvard and other universities in schools in California walking out despite the threat that the Zionist, the Israeli lobby usually throws, uh, throws it means a lot, a lot to us and history is going to write uh, uh, about all of these things. Rafat, it's so uh, wonderful and in a way comforting to listen to you and I, I feel so odd that we who are safe outside Gaza should feel, feel comforted by you who is not safe. Um, but it is wonderful to know that people are maintaining that sense of solidarity. It doesn't surprise me. I know from my one visit to Gaza that I managed to do in my life that people in Gaza are are special even among Palestinians because of the experience that they have gone through so many times uh, I think it, it creates a special bond among people and uh, it, it is uh, it's one of the things I hope that will keep people 
going through just an indescribable nightmare uh, and uh, one that we hope will end now. Uh, uh, you know, it just seems to me utterly reprehensible that anyone could do anything other than call for an immediate, immediate ceasefire. And we hear the children in the background when you're speaking, Rafat, and, um, and just pray for them to have a normal childhood. Uh, Rifat, um are you still there? Yes, and okay. the bombing hasn't stopped. I don't think there was a, a, a minute of, of, of calm in the past uh, probably 48 hours. It hasn't happened. This is uh, escalating, destroying whole, whole blocks in Gaza, in Rafah, a bit uh, uh, in the north, in the south, but mostly in the, in the south, in Rafah. And I uh, uh, was ju- just received and sent it to Ali, not sure you received it, an update about uh, Ahmed, not still hasn't sent. I, uh, his, fr- his brother replied to him, said, uh, I am Ahmed's brother, he is injured, but his son passed away along with five of his uh, uh, family members when their home was destroyed. This is Ahmed Abortema, uh, uh, electronic intifada contributor. And uh, I think Wafa has more information. She says that Ahmed was in critical condition, but he's now stable. Uh, there are about 15, 20% of burns all, uh, all over his body, but he is Alhamdulillah, he's, he's stable, and that's that's what that's the news we we have. We constantly, my wife just is asking me about one of my uh, my cousins uh, that she was killed in one of the bombings. And before you check, before you understand, before you know the details, you get news about other people killed, and then you forget about this, and you come back and realize. When I first heard about uh, Israel bombing a family, a, a, a relative, a, a relative home in Shijaia, it was seven people killed and many under the rubble. And then all of a sudden there are about 14. And then three of them were killed in in, in Rafah. That's the the you know farthest area in the Gaza, in in the Gaza Strip. That's very near near Egypt. This is how far they went to be safe. But again, Israeli bombs chased them down, hunted them down. The, the traumas are non-stop. It's impossible to keep up with this, especially with the children and the little ones. Uh, so, so we're so sorry to receive that news about Ahmed's son. Um, and we we just pray for Ahmed's recovery and uh, pray for mercy for all his family members. And we remember that you know, it, it it is impossible to, to absorb the scale of the losses. What we just see on social media of people in Gaza or people from Gaza who are, are listing whole family members who have whole f- lists of family members who have been wiped out. And it reminds me, and I've said this, uh, it reminds me of when we read history or, or uh, 
accounts of Holocaust survivors who say, I lost everyone. I'm the only survivor in my family. And these are the kinds of stories we're hearing from Gaza. Rifat, um, we, we want to um, let you go so you can be with your family. Um, and um, as always, we will keep checking in with you um, day and night, as we have been doing. Um, thank you for your work. Uh, I, I, I don't even know what to say. Thank you for being with us here today. And um, we send all of our love and solidarity. Uh, thank you. See you soon. Thank you, Rafat. Okay. Um, it is just rough news to hear about Ahmed, and it, and you know, it 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 hits harder when it's somebody you know. Yeah. Uh, because Ahmed is a friend. He's someone who has been to Chicago. Uh, and is the kindest, gentlest person you can imagine, a thoughtful person. We stay in touch all the time. He sends me voice messages. Uh, he never loses, he's never lost his sense of gentleness and humor uh, in his voice messages from Gaza. But over the last few days, we were getting very worried about Ahmed because I had not been able, I had not had any response from him since uh monday lunchtime our time which would have been monday evening in 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 gaza and so many people started asking around uh and we only heard this morning that ahmed was injured and only now from rifat that uh that one of ahmed's sons was killed so this is just uh you know this is this is the the scale of the genocide that that is is going on. Indeed, um, we're going to bring on uh, John Elmer, a researcher and now contributing editor to the Electronic Intifada, as well as Abdul Jawad Omar, in the occupied West Bank. Um, Abdul Jawad, let's start with you. Uh, first off, you're you, you, you've been listening to Rifat, um, his testimony from Gaza. Um, your initial thoughts on on uh, the last few days of attacks on Gaza, uh, as well as in the West Bank, which is um, obviously being overshadowed quite a bit by what's happening in Gaza. But um, we're seeing sweeping arrest campaigns, uh, you know, uh, the, the number of Palestinian detainees um, and people in jail has uh, apparently doubled in the last uh, three weeks. Um, and we saw yesterday our colleague Tamara Nassar uh, published uh, a report on uh, airstrikes, once again, um, killing people, children yesterday in, in Jenin. So uh, tell us what's going on from your point of view there. Well, I mean, in terms of what Rifat just um, told us, I think it's very hard to put, you know, the pain, uh, the shared pain across Palestine in, in this moment into words. Uh, a lot of feelings um, come through as we witness this horrendous uh, air campaign being 
uh, launch at Gaza uh, with all its um, with the inability for people to actually even mourn because they're always mourning you know there's always the next event and the next bomb and I was just reminded by some of the the Western intellectuals that you know at the beginning of of the events talked about mourning like Judith Butler and other people that we don't even have that privilege to mourn in Palestine. We don't even have that privilege to actually just sit down and, and, and cry because we're just worried for uh, the next bomb. Um, that's the first thing that came to mind uh, as Rifat was talking. And I mean, and these feelings are, you know, um, always present in, in, in this moment of horror. Um, but I think it's it's... It's not the sort of sadness where people are giving up. It's the sort of sadness that, you know, um, you still have a will to fight and a will to continue um, as long as it's possible to continue. So I think that's the, the situation in Gaza, but also the situation in the West Bank. I think from the beginning of this campaign, Israel has tried to make it, make it clear, at least in the West Bank, that it's not operating in the, the normal, um, um, you know, rules of engagement and that it's trying to change the rules of engagement, or at least provide a specter of changing these rules of engagement. And one of the elements to that is the airstrike that we saw in Jenin, is that it's, it's, I'm willing to use air power also uh, in the West Bank. And if you want the horror of Gaza to happen in the West Bank, then resistance uh, in the West Bank will only bring that form of horror. That's the message that is you know, being underlined in terms of, of the airstrike. But I think also on a tactical level, them entering into the Nur Shams Turkarim camp and having 10 uh, soldiers uh, between killed and injured was a sign that even in, in, uh, in a very highly, uh, you know, let's place it spontaneous form of organized uh, action in these camps like Jnin and, and Turkarim, um, they're incapable of actually going face to face with fighters and um, ultimately the only solution that Israel has um, is uh, air power, again, um, um, to try to uh, make its presence felt, to try to make its power felt. And I think this is on a military level, but I also what is worrying is that there's a significant campaign to arm settlers uh, with machine guns uh, going on. Um, uh, part of the, the current collective madness uh, in Israeli uh, security establishment and the military establishment is to give Bing Beer exactly what he was asking for for the past couple of years, which is arming the settlers. And also, it's not a defensive form of arming. It is one that is actually offensive, specifically targeting rural areas across Nablus, Ramallah, and other parts of the occupied West Bank. So what we're seeing is this uh, militarization, total militarization of the settlements where the distinction between civilian settler and, uh, and uh, soldier is basically now uh, completely disrupted, at least for the moment. Um, also with a discourse that is trying to play on, uh, you know, the Palestinian historical experience of Nakba and trying to maintain the West Bank in line and in order through also cooperation with the PA and what it's trying to do at this moment, which is also has resulted in the killing of three Palestinians, the martyrdom of three Palestinians across the West Bank. The latest was yesterday night uh, when uh, uh, the martyr Abu Laban was announced uh, dead um, after the initial, um, uh, after the protests that were launched after the Al-Ahli Hospital uh, 
um, uh, massacre. Um, he was crushed by a PA uh, armed, armed armored car, um, and he was announced dead yesterday. Um, I can't explain how much fear and horror also exists in the West Bank, but it's one that is not externalized yet. It's internalized. There's a lot of clashes, of course. There's a lot of uh, operations, firing at Israeli posts. There's a lot of demonstrations happening all across the West Bank. But at the same time, it's still this moment of disorientation in the West Bank as we face both an internal um, uh, internal uh, en internal en enemy in the in the the PA and uh, and uh, and also the Israeli uh, military presence um, across the West. If I can ask you about that, I mean, we see a lot and hear a lot of criticism of the PA, but I mean, is it just business as usual there in the West Bank with the PA carrying on as it, it wants and people just, I mean, what is it that keeps this situation as as it is? I mean, I'm not I'm I'm not saying anyone should go out and do anything, but should they go? I mean, what at what point did the protest turn against the PA in a more systematic way? We've certainly seen protests against the PA. We've seen the PA using brutal repression. Is it that fear you spoke about last time of civil war that keeps people somewhat restrained from confronting? the extent to which the Palestinian Authority is a bitter and mortal enemy of the Palestinian people, a partner in the crimes of the Israeli occupation, a partner in the genocide in Gaza, because when Abbas attends meetings uh, with international officials, with, with European officials, or uh, I don't know how many American officials he's met recently, but certainly with European officials, when he receives European officials who support the genocide in Gaza, isn't he giving them cover to allow them to say, oh, we're talking to everyone and we're engaging in diplomacy? I mean, am I, am I just someone who is out of touch sitting in Chicago? Uh, what do you, what's, what's your response to that? I mean, my response is it's, it's multi-layered like, multi because I think... Um, look, in, 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 in the West Bank, there's no real organized movement that has been able or managed to establish itself in opposition to the PA uh, beyond what happened in the Northwest Bank in the past couple of years. So the middle classes and upper classes in, in, in the West Bank that usually played a historical role of providing a discourse of, of the struggle of actually... Um, Building, if you want, the idioms, the discourses of what we need to, what needs to be done. You know, raising that question of what should be done. This is a very shattered class. Um, it's it's incapable of organizing itself or mounting a challenge. And at this moment, it's choosing silence, um, a horrific form of silence. Um, to be honest, Ali, I mean, I'm I'm similarly frustrated with the situation here because I think. There is that kind of tacit complicity where we externalize um, our anger at the PA, but we're secretly also, um, you know, um, kind of uh, um, happy that what's happening in Gaza. I wouldn't say happy, but, you know, just 
that the PAs kind of quit collaboration, preventing uh, what's happening in Gaza to happen in the West Bank. So it becomes this form of posturing where we say the PA is a collaborationist regime, the PA is doing that and this and that. But at the same time, I think with most people in, in the West Bank right now, it just stops at that. It's, uh, there's a lot of anger, but at the same time, we don't see a lot of action. And it only comes from people who are from the lower classes, a very radical uh, orientation towards political uh, action. But the middle class that played this historical role is, is vastly missing um, um, from the fight. Um, very few voices. Not a single Palestinian political party has issued a statement against the PA until now, um, at least from the Palestinian national movement. Not a single um, collective of intellectuals has done so. Not a single, you know, there's very few uh, signs that anybody is moving towards that direction, at least on the level of the middle classes. So what we get is spontaneous bursts of anger but without the ability to organize a movement. There's a lot of historical, sociological reasons. I don't want to go into it. Also, partially why Gaza, you know, was able to create, you know, this organized resistance movement after the Second Intifada and why the West Bank went in another direction completely. But, you know, I think that we still are incapable of dealing with this Trojan horse amidst us and, and, and significantly challenge it or weaken it or at least... Uh, think in the present. And I think that's one of the tragedies of the West Bank that it's, it's totally caught in the past where it's kind of reached a point of this kind of post-political, post-Palestine society. And this is not to speak about everybody because there's other signs in the other direction. But what I mean by that is that what is happening now is that, um, you know, Palestine has become a lost object where we fell in love we maintain this hope, but we still feel like Palestine is lost. And in the West Bank, that form of feeling permeates Palestinian society. And Welcome back. And uh, that was a uh, panel discussion uh, from uh, Electronic Intifada, uh, one of the best sources on uh, the current situation uh, in Gaza and uh, Palestine as a whole. And that even featured um, uh, panelists uh, from uh, Gaza amid, of course, uh, the continuous around-the-clock bombing uh, by the Israeli Defense Forces, the bombings that are supported uh, by uh, the United States government through the tax dollars of people uh, inside of the United States. And uh, that's going to conclude our program uh, for today. You've been listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Friday, October 27th, 2023. Uh, We've been broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. If you'd like to have access to this program, go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll close out uh, with the music of Max Roach and Abby Lincoln uh, from uh, the album entitled We Insist, Freedom Now Sweet. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.
driver man, he made a life, but the mammy ain't his wife. Chopping cotton, don't be slow. Better finish out your road. Keep a moving with that plow. Drive a man will show you how. Get to work and root that stump. Drive a man will make you jump. Better make your hammer ring. Drive a man will start to swing. Ain't but two things on my mind. Drive a man and quitting time. Mammy ain't his wife. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.